Porch community. It's good to see you. It's great to see you. I was thinking about this. I've, I've been out of the, the pulpit, so to speak, for three Sundays in a row, which I was thinking about it um, with the exception of the birth of our daughter, Mallory. I've never in my 21 years of teaching and preaching missed more than two weeks in a row. So it's, it's been kind of different. So, um, but I needed that time. Uh, went back to Oklahoma to see uh, family and just be there. But it's also good to be back home here and to be with you all and to be walking through the book of Acts. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. Um, and I know we've already prayed a few times, but I, I'd like to pray again as you turn to four Acts 4. Let's pray together as we look at God's Word. God, we, we need you. Um, we need to hear from you. We need your instruction. We need your encouragement. We need your conviction. We, we need the foundation of our lives in the Scriptures to be reinforced by Jesus Christ. And Father, we just want to know the mind of your Spirit this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Acts 4. Acts chapter 4. So we're in the eighth week of our series, but we're all the way in Acts 4. So um, we're just making our way, right? The other day, Josh said, hey, what's, do you know what our next series is going to be? I was like, dude, I don't even know when this series is going to end. So the answer is no, I don't know, but it's, we're moving along. So are you guys, okay? are you guys good with being in the book of Acts? Has this been okay for you guys? Okay, good. Thank you, the three of you. I'll take you to lunch afterwards. So, um, too bad you didn't speak up. So, okay, um, before we look at the, the fourth chapter of Acts, the first thing we need to remember is, or to understand, is, is what we are about to read is triggered by what just happened. So Justin was in Acts chapter 3 last week when Peter and John go to the temple. They go to Solomon's porch. And uh, it's right outside the main temple, and they go to Solomon's porch, and, and there is a man who is lame for at least 40 years. Don't know if he's 40 years old and has been lame from birth, but he's been lame for four decades, and they heal him. And he jumps up and runs around and is praising God, and everyone takes notice. And so that event is what triggers what we're about to pick up in Acts chapter 4. Now, you got to remember we say Acts chapter 4, that was, a, that was a later on thing, that we put chapters and verses in here. This is just a continuation of the story. So there's a response from the religious leaders to what just happened with this man. So here we go, verses 1 and 2. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but like the, the oratory rules and uh, properness of the day, you did not go and just stand there next to someone, come up on them while they were speaking to a group. That was just like a no-no. It, it would almost be like you guys would think it was odd if someone just came up and just stood here. Maybe stood like right behind me and just kind of scowled the whole time I was talking. Um, even that might be what you're doing in your mind. But if someone were to do it on stage, it's just weird. It's odd. Okay, and this is what they did. They came up on them. And then it says in verse 2, <laughs> they were greatly disturbed. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
So you might go, well, hold on. I thought they were just mad that they healed this guy. They were disturbed because they put Jesus' name on it. They were disturbed because they were talking about the resurrection of this man, Jesus, who they are saying was risen. And this is, this is a deal. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Um, you will definitely notice it in the rest of the New Testament as you read along. We'll come across many accounts of it in the book of Acts. But this is what the gospel always does. It disturbs people. <laughs> the gospel disturbs people. Now, being disturbed isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes you can be disturbed. You know, it's like an interruption to your life. And, and you can respond. You can react. You can realign or adjust. But oftentimes when people are disturbed, we, we, there's a myriad of ways you can respond. But often it is to... Uh, retaliate, to push back, to lash out, to, to be angry or upset. And this is what the gospel is doing, the good news of Jesus is doing to these religious leaders. All right? So um, we see this here. They're, already, they're, already, they're kind of flexing on Peter and John a little bit. They're interrupting them mid-proclamation. They're there. They're disturbed. And listen, I, this is, I guess, what I want, one of the things I want you all to hear today when you, as if you're a believer, when you speak about Jesus, when you tell people about the work that he's done in your life, when you tell a story, a testimony, when you say, this is what God has done, isn't he, isn't he good? This is, this is how God worked, isn't this miraculous? There will be people who are disturbed by that. When you say the name of Jesus, people will be disturbed. It just, it's, it's going to happen. This, this happens. When you say, as a believer, Jesus is the only way, because that's the truth. That's scripture, right? That's scripture. Jesus is the only way to salvation. When you speak that, you are being very definitive, and you're, you're kind of being exclusive, and you're saying Jesus is the only way. When you say scripture is the only source, sola scriptura, when you say that, you're being definitive. You're definitely being definitive. You're being exclusive to a way. And, and that message is going to disturb some people. And it does. It does right here in this passage. The religious authorities were going to try to use the power that they had to stop this. It disturbed them. This is what verse 3 says. So they seized Peter and John. Remember the temple guard was there. It was like the security for the place. So they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But, see I love this. It's like, yeah, they arrested him everything. And I love how, how um, Luke writes this. He says, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. 5,000. Now, that doesn't mean 5,000 people right then and there believed. This is an aggregate number, so we're talking the 3,000 from Pentecost who believed, and now 2,000 more. Have this many people have believed the message of Jesus since Pentecost. Now, we can get all on a tizzy if we want to about the number of men. That's just how they counted back then. It's just what they did. So the, what you need to notice whenever you read in Scripture about when it says how many men were there is to know, okay, well, there were also some women there too. And there are probably some teenagers there and some younger people there. Um, so when you read 5,000, it's probably more like 10. 
could even be 15. 15,000, 10 to 15,000 people who have said, who have listened and believed that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. This is how many have believed. Even though they got arrested, this is what happened. All right, here's what I would say to that. It's worth it then, right? Isn't it worth it to talk about Jesus? Peter and John got arrested. Isn't it worth it? Would Peter and John say it was worth it? That thousands of people had just turned their lives over to God? It's worth it. It's worth it. Whatever persecution or pushback that we get from people because they're disturbed with the name of Jesus, I'm just going to tell you it's worth it. It's worth it. Many of us, we kind of give up when we feel that someone is uncomfortable with the name of Jesus. Maybe it's with your work. Maybe it's with some family members. Maybe it's with neighbors or things like that. And we kind of we just give up. But it's worth it. I mean, I don't know how many, how many thousands of people were there. I would love to know the, the percentage of those who believe. But it says many. Many. Well, we'll look at that in a minute. We know two more thousand people at least. At, at the least. So it's worth it. And I would say that's why we exist as a church. That's why the church, capital C, should exist. And this is why we exist as a church. It is worth it to share the name of Jesus. So when you and I share and someone, they might shut down, they might. They might say, I don't believe that. I don't want to hear about that. I've got some really bad history with the church. Scripture shows us that when people, when we proclaim the supernatural work of God, which is what Peter and John have done, they're just proclaiming, they're just like, this, God, this is what God's doing. When we proclaim the supernatural work of God, many people will believe, many. That's why we exist, it's worth it. So the message, the promise, the power is for all. And we know that that's the message for all and many will believe. All right, so the enemies of the church, all right, these religious leaders, verse seven, they ask a leading question. They've brought them before, Peter and John before them now, they've gathered their their people and they ask a question that's totally designed for self-incrimination. It's totally a setup. They want them to say something that will just justify their their being disturbed, right? Which is what we do, right? Um, So don't just point the finger at them because we're like them a lot. Uh, Verse 7, here's what it says. Um, They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. This is a serious question. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, think... One thing to understand is Peter and John are before them, but the healed man is there too. The healed man is there. And, and you will read, we'll read here that it's an undeniable fact that this guy for four decades was unable to walk. Everybody knew it. Everybody in Jerusalem knew it. And now he can walk. Undeniable. And they say, Peter and John are here, and there's, I don't know if they're sitting in a semicircle, that's kind of the understanding of like the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they sat like in the semicircles, very intimidating, and they're like, by what name or by what power did you do this? And they point at the healed man. This is the 
Peter responds here in verse 8. And he responds being filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And friends, this is exactly what Jesus was referring to back in, in the first part of Acts. Acts 1 verse 8 when he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. That's where they are. You're going to be my, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. So it's like, you know, Peter and John were not suddenly going, oh no, I had no idea we were going to be questioned. No, they knew. And they're saying, by what power and by what name? And this is how Peter responds. Verse eight, he says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if... (laughs) He's he's about to tell them how ridiculous they are, by the way. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are asked how he was healed, (laughs) if that's really why you have me here, okay, if that's really why you're asking us, he answers their question, then know this. You and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And this man, that this man stands before you healed. He said, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And salvation is found in no one else For there is no other name. They wanted to know a name. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So much in here. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They had a logical explanation for everything. The Sadducees and Pharisees did not agree on a lot of things. Pharisees were all about laws. They believed in miracles. They believed in signs and wonders. They believed that God spoke through the prophets. They believed all these things. They just had a whole lot of extra rules that made it really, really difficult. The Sadducees didn't believe in hardly anything, which is why they were sad, you see. I've been saving that one. Three-week buildup. So, so there was a problem. I mean, so you can just imagine that when he, when he said um, there in verse, uh, th- this is what happens when you get older. Um, even though I have transition lenses, I need like a third transition. Um, <laughs> it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. You know the Sadducees were just like steaming, grinding their teeth, angry. If they were disturbed before, they're very disturbed now. The resurrection of the dead, how dare you? There's no other name, Peter says. There is no other name. This is the only name. You want to know a name? You want to know power? Well, I'm going to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to declare the name of Jesus Christ. This is what happened to this man that you see now, walking, jumping, and praising the Lord. That name. Now, that's what disturbs people. That name, the name disturbs people. The name of Jesus disturbs because it cuts through all the pretending. It cuts through falsehoods. It cuts through all the, of, of our own little efforts that we try to do. It cuts through our self-importance. It exposes our desperation for a savior, a redeemer. The name of Jesus. 
Now here's an especially interesting verse, verse 13. And it's interesting to me because there's some assumptions made about Peter and John and the work and what's going on here. It's made by these religious leaders. It says this, when they, talking about the Sanhedrin, the, the leaders there, when they saw the courage, which is the same word for boldness we, we find, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, first of all, I want to I want to speak to the assumptions here. First of all, no, they were not alums of you know Jerusalem Theological Seminary. They didn't go to the rabbinical schools that that the, these leaders had, right? They they didn't have the the prestige. They didn't have the diplomas on the wall. Um, they didn't have that. But they were far from uneducated. They had just come out of the greatest seminary of their life. Three years with Jesus. Three years with the author of the scriptures. Three years with the word. Three years. They were not uneducated. Um, no, they were not. Second, were they ordinary? Sure, they were in and of themselves. But now they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They are, they are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do and speak extraordinary things. So, yes, they were ordinary. Oh, but what they were running on was extraordinary. The name in which they were doing what they were doing. It was not their name. He didn't say, uh, me, Peter, me, John. No, it's in the name of Jesus. And third, the leaders, and I know this might be just, I might be a little ticky here and just being like semantics a little bit, but it says that the leaders recognized that these men had been with Jesus. That's a past tense word, isn't it? They, they were still with him. Jesus was still among them. Jesus said, I will, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Jesus said, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit of God, Jesus the Savior, and God the Father, God in, in three persons, were present with them. Jesus was still with them. They were thinking the man Jesus, but he was still with them. So there were some assumptions made by these religious leaders. Their relationship was not a past tense relationship. It was present tense, right? So, you know, we can apply that. I would, I would love for us to apply that in a way to go, you know what? So I want to walk with Jesus as closely as I know how, just like the disciples did, Right? That's, I, you could say I'm uneducated, but I'm going to walk with Jesus as close as I can. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill me up every single day for the presence of God. That's, so that we're not living a past tense. We don't, none of us need to have um, a past tense relationship with Christ. When we talk about what God is doing in our lives, oh, friends, let's make sure it's not past tense. Oh, no, let's present tense. And then a hopeful future. Speaking of what he will do, what we pray he will do, how we pray will be used by him in the future. We want a future tense. We want a present tense relationship and not just a past. Is what's done in the past good? Yes. But it can't be the only thing. Can't be the only thing. All right, verse 16. We're going we're gonna to get through here. All right, we're doing it. We're doing it. All right. Um, you know, when you're out for three weeks, you're like, oh, this is going to be a three-hour message because that's three messages that she didn't get to do, but I will 
I'm not going to do that to you. All right, um, verse 16. So, <clears throat> I do want to point out verse 14. It's not on the screen. They could see the man who had been healed standing there with them. So nothing could be said about it. All right, so there was evidence that he was with them. Verse 16, so these, this is the religious leaders, their response to what they just heard. It said, what are we going to do with these men? What are we going to do? Some people go, well, you should give them a microphone and let them keep talking. <laughs> but that was how they wanted to handle this. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign some of your versions say a miraculous sign, a notable sign, and, and, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them, John and Peter, to speak no longer to anyone in this name. I've, I've read over this so many times over the last several weeks. And this is, this is one of the sad, I, I say one of, I, it's such a sad, sad reality of how people respond to God. I mean, in one breath they're saying, we've seen the miracle ourselves, we cannot deny it. And you would think that they too would then be jumping up and down and running around and praising God for the work he's done in this man's life. But instead, their, their flesh, their sinful, their, their lack of, of God, the presence of God working in them, their response instead, it's, it's evil. It, it's not God. It's not holy. It's but to stop this thing from spreading. And it's just a, it's a sad response. It's an evil response. It's, you know, besides like maybe the, the, the parable, the, or, or not the parable, but the story of the rich young, young ruler who asked Jesus, like, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? And he's like, give it all away and follow me. And he just couldn't do it. And he walks away. I mean, that's sad. This is one of those other sad things. It's like, how can that be your response how can that be your response to God working miraculously, not even through Jesus, but through followers of Jesus? So you know that the power of the Holy Spirit is real because he's working through ordinary people. And someone's life is miraculously, like, like um, physically like things happen, bones healed, muscles healed, nerve endings started connecting again. However, this man was unable to walk. Now he is. That changed. And their response is, but to keep this thing, this, this from spreading, we've got to do something. We've got to make them stop talking. And it's just, maybe it's, it's sad because I think it's so prevalent even today. It's prevalent today where people just don't, they want to deny God working in the small ways and in the big ways, in the ways that make the news and in the ways that, that no one would even notice. want to deny the work of God. It's just sad. So they called them in. They called them in. They don't want this to go any further. Verse 18. They called them in again and they commanded them not to speak 
or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. Don't do it. They didn't even say don't, don't heal. <laughs> they just said quit using the name of Jesus. Quit saying Jesus. And, and so much can be said here. But I will, I will say this kind of in the theme of how are we, you know, are, are we expressing our relationship? How are we speaking of the goodness of God and how he wants to work in our lives and redeem us? If you're a believer, okay, that's always like the, the starting point of this point here, right? If you follow Jesus, if you are passionately pursuing the things of God, I put those separate for a reason. If you're a believer, if you're passionately pursuing the things of God, because some of us could be like, yep, I believe, but I'm not passionately pursuing anything. I'm not even really expecting much from God. That needs to change. Do something about that. Okay? Do something about that, friends. Passionately pursue him. Pursue his ways. And if we understand, so if we're a believer and we're pursuing him and we understand that what, what Christ has done for us, he, is, he has redeemed us. He has taken away our sin. He has redeemed us and restored us. And you're saying daily, Holy Spirit, fill me up so I can be empowered to speak and do what you will have me to do today for the sake of your name. I promise you this. Here's a promise I can guarantee. If that's how you're living your life, you're going to offend a lot of people. <laughs> you're going to offend a lot of people. People are going to be offended. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that people might be offended. And above all else, never, ever, ever let someone tell you to shut up about Jesus. Don't do it. If that means a new job, then so be it. That's easy for you to say, Shannon. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean it. We, need, we should be able to speak up. The day a believer does not speak of the work, the power of Jesus Christ to change lives, to resurrect lives that are broken, to, uh, that are abused, that are addicted, that are lost, that day is the day that we've lost our purpose and we should just go ahead and go on to heaven if we're not willing to speak the truth. Don't be surprised when people are offended by the gospel. Don't be surprised. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. That's no bueno. Don't do that. Okay? There will be plenty offended without your extra, like, jerkiness help. So you don't have to, like, you know what I mean by that. But just don't be surprised when people are offended by the gospel. Didn't you miss me and my isms that I do? I'm sorry. Or not sorry. I don't know. <laughs> All right, verse 19. Let's go into that. Let's go into there. Um, so they've just been told, um, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John reply, you're not the boss of me. Um, <laughs> God is the boss of me. And this is how they say it in their words. <clears throat> Which is right in God's eyes? Which is right in God's eyes? See, they kept bringing it back to God and the, Peter and John did, and the Sanhedrin, the re religious leaders kept bringing it back to them and their rules and their expectations and their understanding. Peter and John kept going back to God, and they said, okay, so you're saying I'm not supposed to speak in the name of Jesus. Their first response is, which is right in God's eyes? Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you <laughs> or to him? 
You be the judges, right? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help but to speak about what we have seen and heard. Friends, is that how you feel about your understanding of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for you, and how you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do you function under this attitude? I can't help but speak about what I've seen and heard. Notice they didn't say, I can't help but speak about what I did. They weren't even talking. No, what they have seen and what they have heard. They, they couldn't help it. They're threatened some more and they're sent off. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Okay, so now they're amongst fellow believers. And reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they, this is his, their people, when they heard this, I love this response, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said. Sovereign Lord. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You know, when we pray, especially when we feel like that people have been disturbed and, and we feel like we, we've been attacked a little bit, maybe we've offended somebody and we're not sure what to do. I mean, our prayer might be, Sovereign Lord, you know, make them like me again. Or, you know, Sovereign Lord, you fix this problem. That, that's not how they started this thing. Sovereign Lord, you, and then they declare how he's sovereign. You've created everything. You are the God of everything. When we pray, the first thing that you and I should recognize is who are we talking to? We're not talking to a butler. We're not talking to, you know, someone who's kind of nice, you know, or a buddy. We're talking to the sovereign Lord of the universe. We're not talking to someone who's weak. We're not talking to someone, you know, we're not just talking out into thin air. Um, we're not even talking to like an earthly authority. We're talking to the sovereign God. Nothing is too much. Nothing is too difficult. So in our prayers, let's put God in the right perspective. I think sometimes we don't, uh, you know, let's make sure we don't carry our limitations of, of how we sometimes might view God over into how we pray. You know, we don't want to have weak prayers. Our God's not a weak God. So let's get the perspective. So we see that. First thing they pray is how good God is, how big God is, how powerful God is. He's sovereign. Verse 29 now, Lord, consider their threats. They're so specific in their prayer. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They've been told not to speak, and now they're saying, will you help us be more bold? <laughs> They've been told to be quiet. Now, you, let's, let's, how can we do this more? And not like, you know, so we can show them. They wanted to speak with boldness. What, this is what got them in trouble to begin with. Going to the streets of Jerusalem and being bold about what they believe in. This has got them arrested. And now they're asking God to fill them with more of what got them in trouble to begin with. Lord, we got in trouble for our boldness. Give us more of it. That's, that's a very specific prayer. Then they say this, verse 30. They pray this. Stretch out your hand to heal. Stretch out your hand to heal. So to, to change people's lives. To, dra to miraculously, I was going to say drastically, miraculously change people's lives. Stretch out your hand to heal them. 
and perform signs and wonders, things that will make people sit up and pay attention. Do this, not just because, like do this, here it is, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're asking God for people's lives to be changed. Not for notoriety, not for financial gain. For people to be healed and for signs and wonders to happen in the name of Jesus. So that the name of Jesus will be lifted up. So that more people will believe. This is their prayer. And then verse 31, just just like in in Acts 2, uh, the day of Pentecost... Very similar. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. This is intriguing. I, I don't even know exactly what caused the shaking. I'm not going to try to guess. Other than to say it was a physical manifestation to the degree that Luke recorded it. He wrote it down in the scriptures. The place was shaken. It was a, it was a physical manifestation of the presence of God um, for the apostles, the disciples to experience, just like it was in the upper room when they heard a wind, when they saw what appeared to be tongues of fire. Like this was another physical manifestation of the presence of God. And then the, the last part of verse 31, and it says, so they've prayed this prayer. Now the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They spoke the word of God boldly. This is one of the many times in the scriptures where you'll read in, in the New Testament when you will see they're, they're being filled with the Spirit again. Well, I thought it was just a one-time deal. But you receive the Holy Spirit once, but then you, you continually can be filled with him. Um, and so we find once again that, that the Holy Spirit fills them up and gives them boldness. So God answers their prayer. God answers their prayer. Notice the the corresponding action here. Um, Boldness comes. Well, they prayed. They received boldness. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. These These go together. These go together. There's so much to learn in the book of Acts. There's so much that we can apply and and attach to our, our walk with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit today. There's so much, there's so much. Um, but we're going we're gonna to stop there for today um, as far as reading it. You keep reading it, okay? You keep leaning in. Um, as the band comes out, I want to read this, this quote to you from A.W. Tozer. He said this, talking about power, talking about the church, talking about who we're supposed to be with the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is what it, he says. He says, the church must have power. She must become formidable, a moral force to be reckoned with if she would regain her lost position of spiritual ascendancy and make her message the revolutionizing, conquering thing it once was. That's what the church should be. That's what the church was beginning to be. We read here in in Acts chapter 4, this is what was happening. They were told to be quiet, and they met together and prayed and said, Lord, make us louder. Make us louder. Make our voice louder. Make this message louder. Make the work of Jesus more apparent so more people will know you. I don't know what the attitude of your heart is today. 
or what it's been lately. I, I, I don't know how passionate you are about your faith and your, um, I don't know, your witness, how you're living out who Jesus is in your life. But I'm just going to guess that we could all lean in a little bit more. That's my guess. Uh, my guess is that we could all say, I need more. I need more boldness. Maybe, maybe you got lazy. Maybe you've been apathetic. Maybe, maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you've been discouraged by the church. Maybe you've been discouraged by other believers. But you know what? Just lean in. So let's pray this together. Father, we need more of you. We do. We need your Holy Spirit's filling now. For all who call on the name of Jesus and believe that he is the Savior of the world, that he has forgiven our sins, he has restored us to right relationship with you, we have new life. We have promise and hope and a future. God, we ask for you to fill us now by your Holy Spirit. Fill us up to overflowing. Would you flood into the dry places, to the desolate places? Lord, for those who have never even thought or, or asked and said, Lord, would you fill me up with your Holy Spirit? Would they do that right now so that we can be bold for your name, for your name, so that many, many, many people will come to know you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus. We pray all of these things and all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's continue in worship.